Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. It's an old song that we used to sing, and it has very simple but profound and challenging lyrics. Here I am, wholly available. As for me, I will serve the Lord. Offering ourselves to God is surely the key to a healthy Christian life. The question is, are we still available today to his purposes? My friend, Darry Northrup, I serve alongside him at Timberline Church in Colorado, he often talks about palms up living. Picture that in your mind. Open hands, open hearts, palms up to the Lord, where we acknowledge that what we have is not our own and who we are, we are not our own either if we've given our lives to Christ. I'm challenged by the reality that it's possible to give our lives to Jesus but then to slowly, gradually, even almost unconsciously, take our lives back again. In his hard-hitting letter, James, the half-brother of Jesus, talks about that as he says in chapter 4, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, we will spend a year there, we will buy and sell and make money. James continues, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It's a mist that appears for a little while. Then it disappears. Instead, you should say, if it pleases the Lord, we will live and do this or that. So living palms up, available to God. That's what we're considering tonight. We're thinking about availability. Availability to God, being ready to serve his purposes, whatever phase of life we find ourselves in. I'd flown to Salt Lake City to preach, and for most of the journey, I'd pondered my sermon, and I just couldn't settle on the right theme. After 16 hours' travel and much pondering, I was still quite sermonless. I arrived, found my hotel, and went to sleep with a heavy heart, vowing to wake early in the morning to rejoin the sermon safari and continue the hunt for the elusive talk. Five hours later, the alarm clock screamed at me. I couldn't for the life of me work out where on earth I was in the world. It's tough to try and discern the word of the Lord when you can't even work out your precise geographical location. I settled down to a jet-lagged prayer time, which is always dangerous, as one can never tell whether the thoughts that bounce around the weary walls of the mind are the whispers of the eternal God or the after-effects of airplane ravioli. Minutes later, I began to feel that God was actually talking to me but I wasn't too keen on what he was saying. Here's what I sensed was the whisper. Just go to the service this morning and tell the people, God says, step up to the plate. The rest of the sermon will follow. Great. I've flown 6,000 miles, endured food that bore a striking resemblance to an aerial view of a farmyard, and the congregation that have shelled out for this uncomfortable expedition are hoping that I'll bring some teaching that is of high quality. What do I have to bring? One phrase, step up to the plate, a term used in the game of baseball. I set off for the meeting with a heavy heart but a sense of faith that this could turn out to be quite an adventure. I was welcomed literally with open arms and led into the prayer meeting. Dozens of people had forsaken the warmth of their beds that Sunday morning to come early to pray for the preacher and the worship team and how they prayed. They were low on spit and high on inspiration. Some of them had just returned from a Christian conference and were as high as the proverbial kite. They called on God for a mighty Holy Spirit-endued divine encounter that would shake the rafters. 
I stood there, the recipient of much laying on of hands, nodded my head and murmured my amens, all the time thinking about the epic body of teaching that I was carrying. Step up to the plate. I'm really ashamed to admit it, but I just couldn't bring myself to go through with what I now know was God's plan. I jettisoned the plate idea, dismissing it as a byproduct of too much time spent at 36,000 feet. I used a well-worn sermon that morning, a tried and tested faithful old standby, and we did have a very good service indeed. Over a dozen people made commitments to Christ. Driving to the restaurant afterwards, I inwardly congratulated myself on dismissing the madness of the step up to the plate plan. Why, God had blessed. People had become followers of Jesus. A sure vindication of my decision, right? Wrong. Over lunch, I casually asked the minister what had been going on in the church of late. His response shook me rigid. Well, Jeff, we've been concentrating on trying to encourage people in the church to realize that everyone has gifts that they can use as members of the body of Christ. Next week, we begin a new sermon series that's designed to encourage everyone to make themselves available to God. There's quite a lot of excitement about this emphasis in the church. I wish I'd never asked the next question, but something deep inside pushed me, already feeling that I knew the answer. So, what's the title of this upcoming sermon series, I ventured? Oh, he said, we're borrowing some baseball vocabulary. The series has been publicized under the title, Step Up to the Plate. Oh, well done me. God had very kindly blessed my alternative service, but just think how much impact might have been made if, without any knowledge of the upcoming sermon series, I'd just announced that the word of the Lord and then followed the Holy Spirit through with what would have surely been a huge response and a very real strengthening of the faith of that church. I placed my head in my hands and groaned. The minister thought that there was a problem with the food until I explained. Until I explained and apologized. Step up to the plate. What does it mean? Put simply, God was urging his people to make themselves available, to accept some responsibility to play their part as members of his team. Generally speaking, the Lord uses people who want to be used. His preference is for willing volunteers rather than begrudging conscripts. Back in that restaurant, I realized the irony of my own mistake. Fear had paralyzed me, and the result was that I had ceased to be available to the Holy Spirit for the delivery of His message. I had not announced the step-up message, and my refusal to articulate it meant that I was not actually planning to step up myself. That made me wonder how much of my frantic activity in ministry comes under the category of my good ideas rather than the fulfillment of God's dreams. God looks for availability not ability. He's the vine, we're the branches. So let's pray like this today. God, help me to be a branch, because God is looking for the next batsman or batswoman to step up to the plate. Maybe that's me. Maybe that's you. Availability. Sometimes it's costly and we can make excuses. Mrs. Robinson was a bright, totally alive woman who giggled uncontrollably whenever Jesus was mentioned. Such was her infectious love for him. She was a lone parent with two teenage daughters, but she would soon be dead. The cancer in her, a quiet, expanding labyrinth, uncoiling itself and spreading its deadly venom every day. 
it would not be long to go now. I used to visit her every week and she never failed to cheer me up. She told me stories about her homeland, the West Indian island of St. Vincent, and she laughed at the thought of dying. This was no brave face, no denial of the reality. She knew that if Jesus didn't heal her, that she was going to die, and she knew that Jesus had gone ahead of her. Her excitement about seeing him was palpable. No, Pastor, I'm not worried about dying, you see, but I am worried about my girls, Hazel and Denise. What will become of them? And then her bright eyes would cloud over, and she would come back from heaven and land on earth again, real worry about her children, causing her to rock back and forth, crying out to God. And I'd do my best to encourage her. Don't worry yourself, Mrs. Robinson. Hasn't the Lord promised that if we cast our cares upon him, he would care for us? And I would open my Bible and show her that scripture, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. And she knew it by heart, but she would always look as if checking to see that it was still there. Week in, week out, she would laugh and fret, and I would quote another scripture each time. One day I found a scripture that talked about God looking after the widow in her plight. So I told Mrs. Robinson that the Lord would make sure that Hazel and Denise were cared for, and she seemed assured again. As I came out of her house, God spoke to me, as he sometimes does, by asking me an uncomfortable question. So then, how exactly am I going to take care of these children? I realized in a millisecond that all of my praying flowery prayers and my quoting of Bible verses could be reduced to cliche if I didn't face the issue that God was raising. I considered the possibility that God was asking Kay and me to invite Hazel and Denise to become part of our family when their mother died. We had a young child of our own in a very small house. This would mean disruption and inconvenience, and the how exactly am I going to take care of these children question wouldn't go away. I decided to lay an impossible fleece before God. For those of you who are blessedly unfamiliar with this approach to guidance, it works like this. You ask God to fulfill a certain set of circumstances, and if those circumstances come to pass, then you agree that this will serve as a sign that God wants you to do something. It's a very useful strategy for those who are worried that God might be asking them to go to the mission field. You can ask for the impossible. Okay, Lord, I will indeed go to Burma if next Wednesday, when I'm in the frozen food section of Sainsbury's, a Burmese soldier dressed as a leprechaun jumps out from behind the fish finger freezer chest, crying, okay then, Begora, come to Burma and make it sharpish. If the leprechaun is carrying a yellow bassoon and has wooden Dutch clogs on his feet, then I would take this as a sign of your call and I will head off for Burma immediately. I hit on the idea of a slightly more subdued but equally impossible fleece. I advised God that I was going to walk into our house and without any discussion or prelude would simply announce to my wife Kay that I felt we should become foster parents to Hazel and Denise. And the catch was that Kay was to say without any deliberation or hesitation, sounds like a good idea to me. Kay is a thoughtful, sensible person. Impulsive is not a word that I would ever use to describe her. So I walked into the house, pecked Kay on the cheek and said, I think we should foster Hazel and Denise. Without a moment's pause, Kay gave her response. Sounds like a good idea to me. And so we did. Mrs. Robinson died without any concern for the future of her children and we became five. Don't get the picture of the Lucas extended family as something out of the little house on the prairie. It wasn't easy, but it was a learning time and a loving. 
It was a learning and a lovely time for all of us, not least me. Hazel and Denise became a very real part of our extended family, and they still are. I don't actually recommend the fleece approach to guidance, although it seems to work for some. But then again, I don't recommend cliches, pass the buck prayers, and making excuses for doing nothing either. Let's be available. God is about. He may just interrupt our lives. Ultimately, it will be wonderful, even if the trek is challenging along the way. Let's be available. Availability. That's been my theme, and the Old Testament prophet Isaiah is an example of someone who stepped up to the plate. Remember his call? That poor chap was having quite a crisis about his own naughtiness and was intent on reciting his woe is me speech endlessly. But God sent an angel with a hot coal in his hand with orders to burn Isaiah's mouth with said coal. This incendiary strategy was presumably designed to silence the I'm not good enough speech. And then the Lord decides that there's a vacancy, a job must be filled. Now, bear in mind, there's only God, Isaiah, and the odd asbestos-clad angel around, but God addressed Isaiah with what can only be described as a cosmic hint. Who will go? Who shall I send? God asks. And Isaiah catches the heavenly hint and offers himself for the task. He stepped up to the plate and history was changed as a result. Today, in small and great ways, we can change history as we say, here am I, Lord, send me. Step up to the plate. Be available. See you next time. Lucas on Life.